Sequence is loading. Brad, you're not going to go all manics on us, are you? I never did that. Are you ready? Relax. Breathe. Enjoy. Move it. Denny Craig. Move it. All right, everybody. Walk and love. Move it. We're friends? Yes, we are. And we're sleeping together. Forestrain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org. You're connected to Boston Illegal, here and now. It's a story of paintball, manics, a cat, giving the finger, and 37 million living below the poverty line. It's Sunday, December 11, 2005. It's a few days after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're listening to Boston Illegal. It's the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. That's the David E. Kelly-produced television show that's broadcast here in the U.S., thanks to ABC, along with 20th Century Fox, and of course the talented crew and cast and creatives over at David E. Kelly Productions. Today's Boston Legal Radio is essentially a conversation about the ninth episode of Season 2, entitled Gone. This week, Kyle, my regular co-host, is on the road in Miami at a basketball tournament. I understand he won. Congratulations. And with me now, in his place, keeping a seat warm, is Rob. Hello, Rob. Hello. It's certainly warm over here in this seat. This comes to like four episodes, or four podcasts you've done with me now. Well, yeah, I know. They're just racking up. You can also listen to this podcast at, obviously, boston-legal.org, podcasts.yahoo.com, and Odeo. And you can also Google Odeo for Boston Legal and find it quickly that way as well. You know, or you can go directly to iTunes and just do a search probably for Boston Legal there as well. And you can go directly to boston-legal.org and listen to it right off the website. But Rob, a new place now. We're on. Remember we teased last week about you'll be able to listen to our show on the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about it. Well, MobileCast, and that's mobile without the E, cast dot, or actually MobileCastNetwork.com. And uh, you can listen to it right on your cell phone. It's not all cell phones that you can listen to it on there, but uh, it's available. Well, tell, tell us how, really quickly, how you can do that if you have a certain kind of cell phone. Give us the rundown. Well, you can go directly to that website and send a text message to your phone that will enable you to download the little software program that will load on your mobile phone if your mobile phone has a data plan. And you just install this, this small little application, you download it through your data plan if you have access to the Internet through your phone. And um, you can get directly to uh, about a thousand different kinds of podcasts through your phone, but specifically, you should be able to get to a Boston legal podcast. Don't you have my CBS television interviews yeah. in there, too? Oh, yeah. All right. Actually, that's prominently placed in there. And our show that we do together, Web Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. That's in there as well. Probably the the shorter shows typically are getting kind of higher feature within the software just because people, I don't know, it's just kind of a... You're saying we're not a short show. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's kind of the bias of the company right now is just to use kind of shorter form content within the phone. But there there's creeping in there more longer form content, kind of like uh, the Boston Legal Podcast yep. and w- yep. Web Talk Radio. So. Full disclosure, Rob is the marketing guy at... Mobilecast Networks. One of two marketing guys. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but you're in charge of the podcast area of the phone. You're, you guys are... Well, I'm I'm working with the content area within the phone and trying to get podcasters involved in submitting their, their podcasts to the, um, to the network and then marketing and getting people to download yep. the software. As a fine Seattle software company. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. It's actually, you look up Melodio.com. That's the, the mother... Mothership. That's the mothership, yes. Rob, um, why don't you give out our phone number and how people can contact us? Okay. You can call 1-800-986-8290, and that's toll-free in the United States. Or you can email Dana directly at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Just a quick rundown on what we're going to do over the next 40 minutes, maybe. Uh, We're going to deconstruct, of course, the episode Gone, and we'll listen a little bit to next week's Legal Deficits episode. We'll revisit, once again, Parallel Universe, Trek in the courtroom. That's looking at the crossover ties between what we've imagined between Boston Legal and any version of Star Trek out there, besides the obvious. And we get those from Deb from Montreal. We'll also merge into some Boston Legal news of the week. We're going to hear 
from a couple David E. Kelly Spader type uh, celebrities who have just quick sound bites from John Cryer. You might remember him from Pretty in Pink. He's into an F-Men now. And a little blurb from Jamie Gertz. She has something to say about Spader. She's on uh, Still Standing right now, but you'll remember her also from Allie McBeal, a David E. Kelly series. And mm-hmm. she won, I think she won either one or was nominated for an Emmy there. And also from um, Less Than Zero. From Spader was in that. Yeah, she's been following Spader everywhere he goes, it seems like. And Well, Dana, let's, uh, let's take this episode here, storyline by storyline here. In the opening, we'll cover how Denny and Alan are still sleeping together. Next, we'll look at Randall Kirk as Denny's paintball target. We'll move into Brad and Denise getting creative to rescue Tita Perez. And, of course, we'll end on the balcony scene. This episode was directed by Mel Damsky. The teleplay was by David E. Kelly. Interestingly enough, the story was by both David E. Kelly and Jonathan Shapiro. So that's an interesting uh, differentiation, teleplay versus story. And it was edited by Michael Hathaway. Rob, our first one that we're going to look at, let's start it out with a soundbite. I think it'll be self-explanatory, but we'll just set it up by saying uh, Denny and Alan have an arrangement, and that's because in previous episode, Alan had his night terrors, and I think they're still coping with it in a very unconventional, I don't know, slashy kind of way. <laughs> what is this about uh, Denny and Alan sleeping together in all these episodes? There's something behind the scenes here going on, right? <laughs> I think they hit a chord or something with the Finding Nemo and everybody got all excited about it. Best friends sleeping together, little kids playing marshmallows, you know. So somehow they think that the audience really wants to see these two sleeping together or something. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure I follow that, but that's okay. <laughs> what the hell did you... Get up, Denny. We're going to the bathroom. I'm tired of not. It takes too long. It's just get up. I'm not getting up. It'll take two seconds. It's the middle of the night. Just get up. I'm not going to get up. Happy? This isn't working for me. What you just listened to is them struggling out of bed in the middle of the night because Alan does need to go visit the facilities and they fall over each other. Um, and <laughs> at the very final scene, Alan lands on top of Denny and that's why he says, eh, this isn't working for me. This may be their last night together. I would hope so. But in the balcony scene, I don't know. It's They are considering trying it again. So mm. we'll have to see about that. Now, moving into the major first major storyline, first of two, the story of Randall Kirk. He's a, a homeless man in Boston who was asking for money as Denny and Alan walked by on an outside shot. It was an outside location shoot. And they they didn't hear him or ignored him asking for money. And he got frustrated and he threw a rock and hit Denny. And Denny turned around and pulled out his ever-present firearm (laughs) and shot him. But Well, it's a paintball. It was a paintball gun, which we all know, right? Don't we? That William Shatner is a huge paintball fan. So it's been chronicled. He's a... Wild man. Interesting too, Randall Kirk. Do you find any interesting similarities about that name? James Just, T. Kirk. Is yeah. there some connection there? Kirk. 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 Well, so. they the writers always have to throw some little thing in, don't they? Yeah, like, I like that, that connects it to Star Trek. I just want to mention the the fellow that played Randall Kirk. His name is Michael K. Williams. He was in Lackawanna Blues. That was the um, TV movie that won a ton of Emmys. I mean, it had like outstanding made for TV movie. It had lead actress in a TV movie. Um, editing and hair and everything. They want a lot of that. But it was also interesting because not only was Randall, or I should say Michael Williams in it, but so was Ryan Michelle Bath. Ryan Michelle Bath is who, Rob? Sarah Holt from Boston Legal. Oh. <laughs> I know. I, I did just feel that. Yeah. You know, they were working together. They worked in the movie together. They were on here together. Although I don't think they had any... Well, if they did have a scene together, they were in the conference room. Warren Peters is the attorney that... Randall Kirk hired to represent him in trying to get some justice here or perhaps some money from Denny Crane after shooting him because it just wasn't right. Mm-hmm. But Denny calls in the show of force and he brings everybody into the conference room to talk to the one sole practitioner and the client. He just ganged up on him. Who the hell are you? Uh... My name is Warren Peters, sir, and I represent my client, Randall Kirk. You work for a firm, Warren? Well, actually, I'm a solo practitioner. Gee, as you can see, I'm not. I work for a firm, one of the largest in Boston. 
dripping with talent. This is uh, Paul Lewiston right here beside him. Shirley Schmidt. Heard of them? Yes. What's my name? Uh, Denny Creighton. I realize you're a powerful man, sir, but that does not give you the right to shoot homeless people. You, you shot this man? People. That happens. Lewiston. Your client tells you that he first hit me on the head with a rock. No, he tossed a stone in your direction, which inadvertently struck you. Well, obviously, I'm not going to pay, son. So you can spend the next three years of your life in discovery, trying to push this case to court, at which point I'll call a clerk and have it assigned to a friend of mine. I'm friends with lots of judges. Or you can cut your losses now. You might want to think about this. No other lawyer would take the case. The reason they wouldn't take it is because it's a money loser. It's what we call a dog. You like dog cases, kid? I'm not intimidated. Of course you are. Of course you are. And as it turned out, actually, Warren... I don't know. He looked pretty nervous to me. Warren Peters did not last, I think, after that. Actually, does he look familiar, the guy who played Warren Peters? That's Patrick Rinna. Do You and I have watched a fair amount of X-Files. Well, actually, mm-hmm. we watched every single one a couple times. Did you recognize him from X-Files? Yeah, I'd seen him around a little bit. I I didn't make an automatic connection with X-Files. He's, he's got that face. He's been around the TV block, so he's been a lot of things. But yeah, he was, he's had small bit parts here and there, and that's probably why I didn't remember him. Ronnie, the pizza guy. Mm-hmm. You remember that? And uh, he played a guy on X-Files that actually had the privilege of being staked in the heart with a wooden stake by Mulder. He was um, had fangs, like vampire fangs, and... And Mulder had to uh, do him in. Sounds like a wonderful role. Also, but he was a better guy over... Uh-huh. He was a medic in the, that great FX series that we actually only got to see the last few episodes of uh, on the Iraq War. What was it called? Oh, over there. Over there. Yeah, yeah I he remember He played that. a medic there. So, he, you know, he redeemed himself in, yeah. <laughs> in characterization anyway. So, oh, and in this conference room scene, Sarah and Garrett, we saw them. They were present in this episode. Garrett even got lines. Yeah. Several. He's- <laughs> I don't know what happened to those guys. They, they kind of fell off the, the cart and um, Brad kind of took over. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Well, you know, Denny walks up to, uh, I think it's Sarah. He says, you know my name? And she goes, yes. And, well, maybe sometime I'll know yours. <laughs> and he invited him in as a show of force to, for the solo practitioner. Sorry, guy. Alan has been watching this with Denny with um, growing concern. You, I mean, you can see Alan from the days of the practice. He's He's back to that Alan where he... He actually had a, I think in episode one, he was representing a homeless guy, did not have, you know, he and homeless people don't get along. But at the end, he was totally won over by that guy. And here he is again, won over by the fact that this man has dignity and needs to be respected and well, stuff. Well, he's, he's really kind of misunderstood out there. A lot, a lot of people think that Alan is uh, unethical, but in some ways, you know, and this is another example that he actually has higher ethics than just about anybody else around him. That could be. I mean, I think you're right. Well, again, I think we said it before, he has yet to be unethical this season, <laughs> season two. I don't know when was the last episode well, he, he was unethical. Yeah, but it's all perspective. I mean, his unethics is oftentimes doing the right thing. That's what's kind of ironic about it. Hmm, interesting. Here is the conversation that he, Denny and Alan had in the lobby as they were kind of working out why you know why Denny was being so obstinate, why Alan was not like backing him 100%. It's not only about being against you. I'm doing this to help him. First of all, you're a lawyer. Well, if he waves the conflict. And secondly, you're a witness. Denny, look. We're I, friends? Yes, we and are. And we're sleeping together. <laughs> Silence in the lobby as he belts this out. Yeah, and everybody turns around and looks. I Denny, who made him promise in Nemo Bay, never say a word about this. <laughs> yeah. It's been so funny. Alan took the case to represent Randall and Randall Kirk. And uh, this this was a little bit of a constant, you know, a problem for Denny. Oh, yeah, because Alan's a formidable opponent. That's why. Plus a friend, supposedly. Alan can't quite figure out why Denny's being such a bully. But he, he gets him in his office right after this. And, and here is the David E. Kelly classic facts and figures about the social dilemma that he is trying to face in this episode. Denny. Get out. Why are you being such a bully? Your insurance company will undoubtedly pay. That's not the point. You shot the man with a gun between the eyes. You could have blinded him. You perhaps could have killed him. He deserves to be compensated. Well, he's not going to be. You want to take me to court? I certainly don't want to go to court. Denny, 
I looked at that man, an indigent, sitting across from a room full of us. Shirley, Paul, you, me, the rich. You know, we've got 37 million people in this country living below the poverty line. 13% of the American population. They don't get education. They don't get health insurance. For God's sake, they don't even get rescued when they're dying. I just, I feel compelled to help him. You must understand that. You know, it's really hard to call a good friend on their bad behavior. And that's what he was doing here. He still sees Denny as a friend, but it's treacherous territory because we've seen Denny actually get mad at Alan, you know, refuse to wear the fl- flamingo costume mm-hmm. because he, he went against him on the whole guns thing. So, you know, he was he was walking the tightrope, but effectively, you know, sticking to his principles, which later I think he chose friendship over principles. But well, I think that there's a lot of things that Alan and Denny don't see eye to eye on, but th- they somehow managed to work their way through it. But interesting, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. You know, I find it really kind of hard to actually maintain a relationship with someone who is extremely different thinking than myself. I know mm-hmm. people say you should keep a lot of differently thinking people around you, but, but I think but it's hard. To well, be I think friends. well, I think Alan is a little bit more liberal than Denny is. So. A little bit. <laughs> so I think that there's there's a whole left right thing going on there, and yeah. it's a good example on how the left and right can get along. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's why they do it. Uh, here is how Alan decides to solve the situation. They never have to go to court. Here's the best part, your check. Oh, my God. $75,000. Man, I ain't never seen this much money at once. Mr. Kirk, I won't be so arrogant as to give you a life lecture, but however you came into your dire straits, I hope you use this money productively. Oh, oh, don't you worry. Don't you worry about that. Don't you worry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. This, this check came from you. It's an accounting thing. But it's a personal check from you. Why? It's really of no concern. I want to know why. You deserve that settlement. I'm fortunate enough to be able to part with it. The truth is I can afford to value other things more than money. One such item being my friendship with Denny Crane. Why'd you represent me if you knew? I suppose I thought I could prioritize principle over that friendship. But the reality is I can't. Which means you either accept this check from me or you get yourself another lawyer. So that's what I mean when he decided he valued that friendship with Denny. He didn't want to shake that foundation as opposed to following his beliefs and his principles. I guess that could be a little... Well, it just follows a, a consistent pattern that Alan does. Yes. I mean, he's gone off and paid people off before. You remember that in season yeah. eight of The Practice? Yeah. You remember it was the um, client that Jamie Stringer was representing. And boy, I miss Jamie Stringer. Bring her on the set of Boston Legal. She's in Boston. Anyway, Jamie Stringer was representing a client who was upset with the airline industry. And Alan put on a uniform of an airline industry person, I guess, and, and handed over it. A check. Check, and that took care of that ethical conflict that yeah. existed. You remember that. Oh, very good. Now, let's take shift a little bit in that same storyline. Let's look at the Denny perspective. <laughs> it was a really funny scene. I don't have a sound bite for it. When Denny walks into Lewiston's office. No, Lewiston walks into Denny's office and doesn't even say a word. And Denny just goes, whatever. <laughs> I was kind of like shutting him down with that old teenage comeback. Whatever. <laughs> and he tells him, I'm going on Larry King tonight. You saw me last time. I popped TiVo me. <laughs> I love it. He and Larry, you know. Yeah. Which, by the way, someone in, someone pointed out. Remember he went on Larry King during the, what was the episode? Mm, uh, I uh, remember which one uh, it was. When he shot the, the guy in the kneecaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. In self-defense. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he just said, you know, he flew down to D.C. or something like that. It was like, I don't think he actually said it was D.C., but the implication was, Larry King, hello, is in Los Angeles. So, they, yeah, you know, it was for a three little, years. It was a little flub there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know that the writers knew that. So I don't know if it was, they just, you know. Maybe sometimes he does do it in LA. Who knows? <laughs> in, you mean in DC? In, in DC. I'm sure he has the studio there still. Yeah. yeah right. He flew out there just for, for Denny. Lewiston warns him the wagons are beginning to circle. You know, you, you don't want to go back on uh, Larry King and make a fool of yourself. He says, I got a seven share. <laughs> ratings it's nice to talk about ratings there's a lot of that sort of self uh, inside joke kind of thing going on i think oh and we have the scene of course where denny's shooting 
a paintball gun at a Target, which happens to be a big poster of... Jane Fonda. Right. Who yeah. used to... Be married to... No, but something similar. What you, <laughs> you know, used to... He slept with her. Oh, oh, that's right. Supposedly. <laughs> Until she went all commie on him. <laughs> that's, that, that's right. And for some reason, I, I was thinking of CNN and I think um, the creator of CNN, who used to be married to... Jane Fonda. Oh, Jane. Oh, that's right. Ted. Uh, Ted Turner Broadcasting Network. Yeah, Turner, which the s- started. C- um, oh, CNN. CNN. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. He also, when he was talking about Jane Fonda, he says he they caught her in one of those communist bitch hunts. <laughs> he goes, "You mean witch hunts, right? No, <laughs> bitch hunts." <laughs> he did go to Larry King, but Larry King wasn't in the studio. Instead, he got the re- a reoccurring character. That is Gracie Jane. She's back. That's Jill Brennan. She was in Schadenfreude. Remember that? I think the takeoff is on Nancy Grace from Court TV. She's on CNN Headline mm-hmm. News. Looks similar. Has that sort of wild accusatory style of hers. Yeah. But yeah, she was in, in another episode. Very similar name. So, you're a hijacker. No, I shot the man in the forehead with a paintball gun. And the week before that, an indigent in the knees. A child rapist scum. Is that your excuse? Hijacker. Will you stop calling me that? Where's Larry? I call you that because it is high-priced attorneys like you who are hijacking our legal system. You can read it in my book, Hijacked. Can we talk about the issues? (laughs) Sure, Hijacker. It's people like you who are ruining our country. I'm not ruining the country. Poor people are ruining the country. You sit there in your $2,000 suit blaming poor people? Our Father, who Answer art the in question. heaven. Denny is the so in trouble. people have plunged this country into debt. So much so that there are liberals in Washington who want to take away my tax cuts, your tax cuts. And we worked hard for those tax cuts. And we're supposed to give them up for what? For Medicaid? Education? We teach them how to read Yeah, we, we worked hard for tax poor. cuts, right. If Larry were here, he'd get this. But you take Katrina. The poor people have cost this country billions and billions. In what way? Well, the rich got out. The damn poor just... Hung around. Now we got to pay for it, he says. If Larry were here, he would understand it. Those darn poor just hung around. <laughs> well, you know, we laugh because it's all, you guys, it's a, it's a, it's pointing out social problems, but with a humor and wit. But people don't get that. They didn't get it with uh, Witches of Mass Destruction in the, in the, in the war. Mm-hmm. They don't get it with this one. Well, it's a pretty serious subject. And I got emails. Mm-hmm. And I and there were postings, and there was postings everywhere about people that were really upset. And you know, every time I get an email from someone that's upset about a storyline on Boston Legal, they yell at me like I'm Boston Legal. They say, "Well, they we think don't you work for ABC or something." <laughs> but the people that like the show, they know I'm not nothing to do with Boston Legal other than a fan. You're, uh, <laughs> but but you're the outreach. I try to educate them. I try to be fair and balanced. Yep. And uh, and I think I actually got through to one of them. They wrote back, and you know, okay, I understand because. You can accomplish a lot by saying, I understand your point of view. You're right on some of those things. It is a shame that there is the poor people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the way some people believe. And, okay, we do our best. And that was even a pared-down storyline. There was the case of the disappearing storyline that a month or so before this episode aired, it was released, the summary of it. And they said that Randall Kirk was actually going to sue the U.S. government for letting his wife die after the hurricane in New Orleans. And so it was going to be much more pointed. And did you hear Denny talk about, take Katrina, for example? He was talking about the hurricane. That's about the only leftover bit of reference there was to this New Orleans storyline. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm, I'm thinking they were still smarting over the So how did you know of, about this other storyline? Sacks of mail that they got. <laughs> my sources. The sacks of mail they got after witches of mass destruction because that was some nasty stuff, let me tell you. And they, they may have just wanted, maybe ABC said, Network note, tone it down. Back off, buddy. <laughs> okay, we're done with that storyline. That was a big storyline, but even bigger. I think Brad Chase owned the episode gone, and it's about time. And this is a, just the beginning. Well, at least it's going to continue on through legal deficits. And then yep. we're gonna, it's going to be off for so long, like three weeks, so who knows. I have some spoilers coming up. I'll tell you when to turn down the volume if you don't want to know with, about Brad. Brad and Denise decide to get creative and help rescue Tita Perez, who was kidnapped in a shopping mall by a pedophile. And so it's a very serious one. There, there's a little humor. There's a, uh, some outrageous humor coming up. Denise turns to Brad because he has friends with the FBI. The FBI does know some information about this pedophile. They were able to identify him from closer 
you know, cameras. But he snuck out of the system because of a technicality. Yeah. Well, and they, they can't act. Well, he's, he was in jail, but he got out mm-hmm. normally. They don't actually physically know where he is. And the F- FBI's hands are a little bit tied because they're more scrutinized now. Darn. <laughs> yeah. There's a meeting with the FBI and Brad and Denise. And, and Brad has kind of been there, done that in some kind of covert ways. So th- there's a little understanding between the FBI agent and Brad. Let's listen in. We think the brother knows where he is. But? He's not talking. Can't you charge him with conspiracy, aiding and abetting? His only crime is being fraternally related to the kidnapper. We can't exactly... What uh, about harboring a fugitive? uh, No evidence that the suspect was there after the crime. So what you're saying is you're nowhere. Look, uh, we're on this. So is the Boston PD. But uh, take a walk. You can talk in front of me. She's good. She's good. <laughs> Anything the FBI or the police do, it's state action. We have limitations. What a private citizen does, however, no poisonous fruit issues, no civil rights concerns. A child is missing if you could be a little less cryptic. A lot of kids who live in cults, for example, their parents hire PIs to basically kidnap them. Technically, it's a crime. Are these parents ever prosecuted? No. Brad, you yourself hired some PIs to do an intervention. Legally, that was false imprisonment. Did we prosecute? No. Is he being less cryptic? Self-help. That brother (laughs) knows something. I know he knows something. If we weren't under such scrutiny, we'd grab him ourselves and uh, encourage him a little. I never saw you take that badge out of my desk drawer. Never saw you take that one. Wait. Wait, wait. Are you suggesting that we impersonate FBI officials? I would never suggest that. I would just encourage that. <laughs> Don't you just love Detective Sean Wilkins' uh, voice? It was a great voice. Mm-hmm. And he was, it's Billy Mayo, the actor. You just came up for watching West Wing, didn't you? Did you yes. see the Secretary of Defense on there in that episode? Mm. I was preparing this, so I didn't get to watch it. It's TiVo'd. Yeah. Anyway, he's been the Secretary of Defense for many, many episodes of the West Wing. Yeah. He was on my favorite early 90s TV show, Wise Guy. Anybody who likes Arrested Development may rest in peace. There's a couple more episodes coming up. There's one next week. And he also played a detective on The Practice back in uh, season seven, so just before Alan Shore came on. He alluded to an intervention that Brad had performed in the past. I want to know what that was. I want to know what Brad has done. He got in trouble. Well, he hired PIs to... I guess, hold someone or, you know, this intervention. So mm-hmm. we'll find out. Maybe we'll find out. Just little little clues to his backstory. Just do nothing but excite me. So <laughs> hold your horses. Now we move forward into, oh, and I loved this part. when <laughs> it's At the very beginning, as he started explaining, we know who the guy is, but there's certain we can't go after him. And Brad kind of raised his eyebrows, turned around, put his handle on the door handle and shut it. He knew it was coming, man. <laughs> he knew it was coming. He was making sure no one overheard what was about to happen or saw. Brad rounds up a couple of his, um, it wasn't said in this, but I saw it in some casting uh, that they were his Navy SEAL buddies, Smith and Wesson. <laughs> the big guns. <laughs> big guns. And they came in to uh, help him with, I guess, the intimidation factor that needed to be put upon the brother to find out where the pedophile was. Let's listen in. I'm not risking arrest. The FBI's told me that won't happen. What about the police? As long as we don't cause any physical injuries, we're okay. Will this man be armed? We expect not. He has no record, no history of violence, but be ready just the same. Now, hopefully he'll talk. But if not, we got a room in the basement. Looks like an FBI interrogation cell. We blindfold him. We take him there. Brad, you're not going to go all manics on us, are you? I never did that. I'll meet you downstairs. Let's go. What did he mean, go all manics? When I was a kid, my role model was sort of Mannix. The famous private detective. He's a television character. I'll let you know how we do. Oh, I'm coming with you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. There's no reason for both of us There's to There's no way careers. I'm letting you do this alone. I have some experience that you would make... You are also up for full partnership. As are you. And I'm willing to take the risk. Why are we wasting our time as a child missing? Mannix, it's priceless. <laughs> Hang on. Brad's going to go off on him. That's all. I mean, it's just, I mean, the expectation yeah. has been set. Well, it's really nice to see Brad lose his, no, he didn't lose his cool. He, he, he was acting the part. Now, if you stick around to the end of the podcast, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy a little Mannix theme at the end. 
But not, this is this is quite the opposite of what what we've seen from Brad up till this point because he's been very straight laced and very kind of military in the office. And Brad keeps it deep down. It's like, but, but it's in him by the book kind of stuff. And this is like. You know those West Pointers. We're we're showing a little bit of skin here. Listen, they go into battle. They're the elite force. You know what's interesting about okay, Brad is a Marine, ex Marine, mm-hmm. and they have their own elite force, which is the uh, well, I actually had to look it up. It was the the Force Reconnaissance or Force Recon. That is different than the Navy SEALs. Now these are his buddies from the Navy SEALs. Well, there's kind of a little bit of you know in the service in the forums of the service. So there's a little bit of rivalry there. I mean, they're both elite areas. It's interesting that the Marines have been a little aloof from the other areas of the service. But here, Brad has befriended, apparently, longtime friends, some people from the Navy SEALs, because they know about his Mannix obsession, you know? They know about his emulation of that man, Mike. Mike Mannix? No, wait. Mike? What was Mannix's name? Well, it was Mike Connors was the actor. That's why I was getting confused. So the two uh, buddies and Brad and Denise find this apartment of the brother. Shock and awe, boys. Shock and awe. Are we confident he's going to be here? Works nights. He's home. FBI man, we're looking for Dominic Martini. Anybody here speaks Spanish? I think it's Russian. It's Italian. Senti, cerchiamo il tuo fratello, Joe. Ha rapito un ragazzo di quattro anni. E se non aiutarci? Non so niente, lo ho già la qualcosa. E se non aiutarci? Non so niente, lo giuro. Quando era l'ultima volta che era qui? Ma che ne so, alcune settimane fa. E quando era l'ultima volta che hai parlato con lui? Lo stesso, alcune settimane fa. Well, Denise does actually, I should say, the the actress that plays Denise, Julie Bowen, lived in Italy for a year. So she really speaks uh, some decent Italian. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty obvious to me that uh, the foreign language was not part of the uh, the whole SEAL or, you know, Special no, Forces was... training that, that, that Brad supposedly had under those circumstances. Anybody know Spanish? I was <laughs> <laughs> <Or just> Russian. <laughs> um, actually, I had a, a friend of a friend, husband, who's Italian, translate it. So if you go to boston-legal.org, uh, click on the Gone episode, you'll find the transcript there of the whole episode including the English subtitles. <laughs> so if you want to know what you're saying, basically it was, you know, what do you know? Where is he? Oh, you don't know anything. That kind of thing. I don't yeah. know anything. Which he does. Know something. Shock and awe, boys. <laughs> I love well, it. Well, the pressure kept on. <laughs> now, before the interrogation, they um, are passing through the lobby of the firm, and we run into Garrett, who was given orders by Denise to look up what their uh, exposure would be if, as private citizens, if something theoretically, hypothetically came of this, you know, not anything. So here is Garrett's um, legal definition of what they're facing. Let me do the talking, all of it. Why? Because you're Mannix? Denise. Garrett, what's the answer to my questions? Short one. Basically, if compliance with the law will result in a greater harm than breaking the law, the defense of necessity justifies breaking the law. I could kiss you, but I won't. Let's go. Brad does that little sort of... Th- he's like constantly cracking his neck and biting his cheek and <laughs> chewing on his lip at this thing. I love it. But all these mannerisms. So they head down to the, quotes, FBI interrogation room. And if you watch this episode, there's a picture on the wall. I don't know who it is. Who, who, did they put it up there? Is this like the guy that was the head of the FBI? or Do you yeah. know? Well, I, I think it was the the former, I think, Director of um, uh, Ashcroft. The picture on the wall was Ashcroft. Uh, Ashcroft. Are you not thinking from the previous episode when they didn't mention Ashcroft? But no, no, was you recognized the, him? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, thank you, Rob. From the from the Bush administration. What the heck is he doing on the wall? Because I guess no one uses that room. Well, everybody's scared of Ashcroft because he's the one that that, that was violating that, that was encouraging the violation of all these um, human rights uh. and. And, you know, he was the attorney general, right? Attorney the, general, the attorney general. And he was pushing for us um, to um, to kind of waive 
prisoners' rights and things like that because of terrorism. Oh, that's great. It was kind of interesting that that picture was on the wall because that's kind of what the scene was all about, about kind of torturing this this guy. Or the implication of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see what happens in that dark room. And anybody who likes Mark Valley, this is this is a great, great scene for him. You're in a lot of trouble, my friend. Spoke to your employer. He informed me you speak English, so I'll regard these protests in a foreign language as your first attempt to deceive the federal government. I, I have rights. Sixth Amendment counsel. Four-year-old child is missing. Your brother has him. I'd say that adds up to a bad day for your constitutional rights. I don't know anything about that. This child back. Her arms are going to get broken, ligaments severed, electrical devices might even get attached to testicles, and I don't mean mine. You know I'm going to get away with all this, Dominic? Because a four-year-old child is missing. I don't know where my brother Flea is. Carter. I swear, I don't know where he is. Who does? I don't know. Now that response didn't seem very considered, Dominic. That's disappointing. Get out, Denise. Brad, I am. Get out, please. Now. As Brad rolls up his sleeves. Time's up, Mr. Martini. Takes off his coat. He sees a priest. Excuse me? I know he goes to this priest. Maybe he knows something. What's the name of this priest? Father Michael Ryan. St. Joseph, North End. Father Michael Ryan, you're in for an exciting day. Yeah. Wow, my favorite line... I mean, my two favorite lines, I guess. That response didn't seem very considered, Dominique. And also, bad answer. <laughs> I'm using that a lot in my Brad Chase role-playing. Yeah. <laughs> bad answer. Because, you know, basically anything Shore says to him, <laughs> bad answer. Is that answer, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Lou Volpe, I believe it was, is the one who plays Dominique. And uh, that's the brother, Dominique Martini. And he was also in Boston Public. And that was a tie-in, of course, with David E. Kelly. And he was in Days of Our Lives the year before Mark Valley joined Days of Our Lives. So, yeah, they have that in common. Uh, Six degrees. Yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of – you can connect everybody in Hollywood. Shirley Schmidt has her, her lecture that she delivers to both Brad and Denise. What are you thinking? We're attorneys. You know, when we get really aggressive, we garnish wages. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, Brad's just like nodding his head. Okay, get it all worth I understand. This is when she presents the fact that both you and Denise are up for partnership – interesting and you guys know we're watching you so be extra cautious doesn't phase them at all they're no, gonna do what they're gonna, they're gonna do. do what they're gonna do in for a penny and, you know out for, you know, pound it's gonna happen so uh, they decide they're gonna go right to of course as i mentioned father ryan and find out if the pedophile talked to him and where he might be as they walk into the church brad denise and denise warns him remember all bark no biting and Brad just crosses himself because he's Catholic. You know, Mark is Catholic. So maybe there's just a little bit of thing he has to do. Let's listen into what happens between the, well, the first part of anyway, Brad, Denise, and Father Ryan. May I help you? Good morning, sister. I'm Special Agent Rob of the FBI. This is Special Agent Beetle. How are you today? The FBI has already been here. Well, we're back. Where's Father Ryan? I'm Father Ryan. And I've said about all I'm going to say on this matter. Please, Father, a little boy's life is at stake. As I explained to your other agents, if I had communications, they would have occurred inside the confessional. And I would, unfortunately, be prohibited by canon law from revealing the content of such communications. Without revealing any specific exchanges, Father, could you tell us if you've been in receipt of any information pertaining to this abduction? I'm afraid I cannot. We have a warrant, Father, authorizing us to search your office premises. Is this your office? You can't be serious. Is this your office, Father? Any records would also be sealed, subject to canon law. That you'd have to argue before a district court judge. I can tell you that we are not subject to canon law, and we are authorized to conduct a search. You will make no such search. We have a warrant, Father. I don't care. I have documents pertaining to privileged relationships with parishioners. You're not going in there. Please step aside, Father. We have a warrant authorizing us to search, and please do not make us arrest you for obstruction of justice. 
we pause just a second before we go to the rest of that scene. Just to mention, uh, remember when Brad says, I'm Special Agent Rob of the FBI, this yeah. is Special Agent Beetle. Everything has some kind of, I mean, the names come from somewhere. Rob and Beetle. What, what's going on there? And uh, so I Googled around. I don't know if this is it, but there is an alternative band, punk band from the from England. The band's called the Rob Beetle Triangle Band. I don't know. rbtb.co.uk. Check it out. Maybe someone's a fan. The father, Michael Ryan, let's just quickly say Richard Fancy is the guy that played that character. He was the minister, actually, again, on one of those great movies from the 90s, early 90s, uh, Bill Murray's What About Bob? You remember that? I don't know if I ever saw oh, that, Oh, that is so funny. So, um, also, he's in like 10 episodes of Seinfeld. He's a reoccurring character there. And he's been on Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager. And he's been on Murphy Brown. There's a tie-in there with Candace Bergen. And he was in season one of L.A. Law. <laughs> All right. How does that scene play out, Rob? You interested? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. It's definitely a visual scene. Things are going to be happening and Brad's going to be getting in trouble. What we're not playing is that when they realize they've come to a dead end, that he is not letting them into his office or giving them any information. Denise actually has the bright idea to go <laughs> break the glass on one of those in case of emergency fire axe, uh, fire hose, fire extinguisher yeah, encasements. I don't know where she got that idea, but <laughs> she's, it, she's on the edge. <laughs> it kind of led to a little progression here. So she brings over an axe and she says, whispers to Brad, just, just threaten him with it. It's a very expensive door brought in from Italy, as we'll, we'll hear her say right now. That door is worth a fortune. It was imported from Italy. Threatened to break it down. The nuns are watching. Please step aside, Father. Are you out of your minds? I will give you to the count of three if you do not unlock I'm it. I'm calling the police. One. Brad. You can't come crashing in Two. here. Brad, you wouldn't dare. Three. Okay. screaming goes on for five more seconds (laughs) it was pretty wild he was only going for the door he was not swinging to actually connect with the door but at that moment father ryan i guess has a change of heart to save the door he holds out his hands as a don't hit it please he tries to stop brad essentially stop him with a finger yeah well in (laughs) this case multiple fingers accidentally quite by accident lops them off yes they fall to the floor rob and right away, a cat comes over and grabs one. This is a cat that we heard meowing in the last. I just couldn't believe bite. how fast that cat got to the fingers. Hungry though cat. he was, he was like ready to. I mean, he was on top of them by the time they hit the ground. <laughs> or bite the hand that feeds. Yeah. What were those fingers made out of? <laughs> a relatively very sharp axe. Probably never been used. Very clean cut. It's probably stuffed with cat food or something. Once again, Brad cracks his neck before the swing. I love it. Now, I have to just, because all great scenes get played over and over again, because, you know, it's a great scene. You know it's going to play well. It's been on different, um, this this kind of thing where an animal, a pet, grabs something from a human appendage or something and takes off. Uh, someone pointed out to me, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a Robert Downey Jr. film that's out right now. In that one, um, a girl slams Robert Downey's fingers in a door and they fall and she says, did I just cut off your finger? And Danny goes, yeah, yeah, it's on the floor. Pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> you know, so it's another one of those cases where a cat then picks up the finger. <laughs> and if anybody out there is as in tune to Mark Valley's career as I am, he was in Keen Eddie. And I have a video up on boston-legal.org. Go to the Gone episode page and watch the two-minute video from Keen Eddie where there's a very similar scene in the case of, um, except in this case, it's a tooth. And it was on a counter, and it gets knocked to the floor, and the roommate's cat dashes after it and eats it, and, and everybody just freaks and clears out. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. It's good. Cats provide lots of good entertainment, don't they? We love our cats. <laughs> just don't turn your back on them. So they now head to the, um, well, they actually have a dressing down like once again by Shirley. Shirley is authoritarian. And they explain that they do have, they have uncovered, you may have caught a break, they have uncovered some illegal activity going on at the church, and they think maybe they can do a little extortion thing. Actually, it's suggested by Mr. FBI that they deliver the finger, actually the one finger they got from the cat, to the hospital. And maybe, maybe they don't just hand it over until they get their information. And that does happen. And uh, just to quickly wind up this storyline, they get the information where the pedophile's house is holed up. Um, they do 
send in a SWAT team. Brad is actually saying like, a, you know, I have paramilitary training. Let me go. We got to go. I want to suit up. I want to see him suit up. Denise says, no way in hell. And uh, so we watch the rescue as the SWAT goes in. A very nice drum beat going on. And uh, indeed, there's Tito and he's well. And they reunite him with his mother. And Denise collapses against Brad's shoulder. And he puts his arm around her and they walk off together. So it turned out well. It so did, was good. except for <laughs> the father. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and as we'll probably see, there, there's a few more victims coming. All these people are going to be in next week's legal deficits uh, deficit. Of course, the episode ends with the balcony scene, and Denny and Alan discuss a few things. This is just one part of them. See if you can hear the um, reality or fiction comment in this. What'd you tell him? None of your business. I wish you'd let me in on the game. I can act, you know. I want an Emmy. Just the same. Since when do lawyers win Emmys? Then he feels like if he was, he should. Yeah. Yeah. A check for $75,000. It's for you. Not for him. I pay my own way. How did you know? Here's a little secret. I know things. Don't tell. That secret seems unbelievably safe. Rob's shaking his head and just <laughs> Denny, talk about total total denial of the truth of the world. <laughs> you know, he just paid off paid off his friend to paid off him. So yeah. I guess what comes around goes around. I That's guess. right. And he knew it all. And it's interesting because that maybe you know you, you wonder about Denny being so uh, you know stubborn and, and crazy and. There's that cognizant Denny that acts crazy or acts forgetful to throw everybody off so that he can, but he's totally aware. And then there's the real, you know, afflicted Denny. Well, he is Denny Crane. He knew what was going on during a lot of this, too. And you wonder if how much of it was to just irk Lewiston, which he did. So, I don't know. It's interesting. And you got the reference to the Emmy, of course. Yes. We we did comment. See, Denny in his mind thinks that Emmy should be handed out to senior partners as well mm-hmm. <laughs> it's <really> good. <laughs> well, it would be good if a few other senior partners won an emmy for the show rob we get to look forward to this again next week why don't you fill us in yes we do we're going to dissect the season two episode 11 legal deficits uh, that's going to air on december 13th but let's listen to a soundbite Next on Boston Legal. What's going on? They're arresting me for assaulting the priest. And kidnapping and false imprisonment. With all that's going on in the world today, who among us hasn't at least once wanted to take an axe to a priest? Well, let's see your $50,000 in debt. I know. It's these people. They ruined me. I like to take the adversary out of adversary system. Wonderful. Why don't we begin then by you giving her back all her money? I have an erection. It's a good sign. Let the trial begin. I'm ready. He has an erection. Oh, he's saying this to Shirley and Denise and Brad. Oh, my goodness. Um, Next week also we'll find, uh, and my friend Katie mentioned this, Christian Clemenson will be working on this episode. He's one of, actually in real life, one of James' oldest friends. He was in, um, he played Spader's brother in Bad Influence and very un-Hollywood kind of guy. So thank you, Katie, for letting me know that Christian Clemenson, who will play an attorney that helps Melissa with her financial situation. He's the like the financial accountant attorney or whatever there at Crane Pulled Schmidt. Hans Wexler. He has a problem with his hands. He's good, he can, like, can't move his hands from his thighs or something strange. He has no social skills, but he wants to be partner. So it should be an interesting storyline. Yeah. That concludes our dissection of Gone. But we have a little bit more to share with you. So please hang in there. We've got some news. And of course, right now we're going to jump into... Trek in the courtroom, our parallel universe look at some of the similarities, thanks to Deb from Montreal, who finds sound bites and pictures and sends them to me. And I'm going to quickly cover it. We don't have her here on the phone this week, but definitely go to uh, the website, boston-legal.org. Click on this, the Star Trek link, and I will have up there her pictures, and we'll play for you right now some sound bites, too, and her little commentary. Definitely have to look, check it out, because it's very humorous. The first theme that she mentions is the theme from Gone of the have and the have-nots. That was an issue that Alan kind of lectured Denny about. Here we are, you know, the rich, and we're basically 
um, subjecting the poor to not, you know, not have the same kind of justice as we would. So there's an episode of the original series, Star Trek, called The Cloudminders, very famous episode. And Alan's fear that uh, one day the poor will organize and rise up against the rich, creating a state of anarchy, is illustrated also in that Star Trek episode, uh, where the enlightened citizens live in a cloud city, it's called Stratos, and they enjoy a very opulent lifestyle, With while the planet dwellers, and they're called troglites. Now, I haven't seen this episode, so I'm sorry, purists, if I said that wrong. They endure very primitive conditions. So again, the poor, the poverty, below poverty line. How dreadful, they're just spoiling the whole city. When Alan represents Randall Kirk, the homeless guy, he's similar to Spock standing up for the plight of the troglites, who are the miners of this of this um, cloud city. Um, he discovers that their mental capacities that are diminished are because of some gas in there. But anyway, Spock goes there and speaks for them, just like Alan did speak for the, the poor guys. This troubled planet is a place of the most violent contrast. Those who receive the rewards are totally separated from those who shoulder the burdens. It is not a wise leadership. The other theme that was brought up is the, what she calls Pulp Fiction. Uh, this is that whole Mannix, Detective Brad, PI, FBI thing going on. And in both the Star Trek and in the um, Next Generation, the original series in the Next Generation, they've had episodes where the characters are like the gumshoe PIs. And one of them, um, well, actually, in the case of a Brad, is like sort of the Mannix alter ego picard was an alter ego of um dixon hill who was a very film noir style detective with he had the sexy secretary and the bottle of scotch in the fictional novel the big goodbye and so we have pictures from the cover of that novel pictures of mannix definitely go to the website check that out and uh, even denise kind of harks back to that sort of femme fatale of that and also the next generation remember when data and picard were detectives and crusher was a femme fatale there and in the original series, uh, Kirk and Spock were sort of like gangsters with the pinstripe suits. We have a picture of that with the um, the ties. looks very similar to, to how the guys look in the firm right now because Kirk and Crane love their guns. A couple of the fun things, too. In that same episode of The Cloudminders, the one where it was the have and have-nots, uh, there's a scene, and, and we have a picture of that, where Kirk and Spock are tied up to each other. <laughs> At least they're in the vertical position as opposed to horizontal. So that does it for Parallel Universe Trek in the courtroom. Rob, let's jump into a little bit of the news. Okay. There's a lot of that. Uh, I'm a lot just going to quickly news. run through the calendar because uh, and that's on the front page of the website. So definitely you know, be sure and keep appraised at what's going on because there's going to be a little more of a preemption going on here. Unrelated to the show, it's Justin Mintel's birthday this week. He'll be 23. He plays Garrett Wells. And that's on December 16. And December 17, this, this week, this coming week, is the International Press Academy Satellite Awards. Boston Legal is up for Best Show, and William Shatner and James Spader and Candace Bergen are all nominated. So send good vibes. We would like them to get as many awards and recognitions as possible. Another birthday coming up, Mark Valley plays Brad Chase. His birthday is December 24, Christmas Eve. Uh, he turns 41. Also... Uh, the next episode after Legal Deficits will be repeats, but we get two hours of Boston Legal. We get uh, on December 27, we'll get a repeat of episode one and two. That's The Black Widow and Schadenfreude. That was the Heather Locklear episodes. Look forward to that. We'll be preempted again. I say we. January 3, the Orange Bowl football. So that's all right. January 10 is the next new episode after Legal Deficits. That'll be episode 11, and that's The Cancer Man Can, and that's the one where Michael J. Fox starts his, I think, three-episode arc. Uh, he plays a very, very rich man who has is dying from cancer and wants to be able to use uh, some experimental treatments for him. Another sort of have-and-have-not situation. And we've got one called Helping Hands coming up and Too Much Information, one called Breast and Show, Smile, and another one in February 21, Live Big, which stars Tom Selleck. Rob, do uh, you want to quickly run through some ratings? Yeah, the December 6th, Gone basically brought in a 6.7 rating share, and I guess in the number 7th position. With adults 18 to 49, they had a 2.7 share, or the 11th slot. I guess it was a season low of 9.64 million viewers. But I guess it beat out the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, but I guess lost to Law & Order SVU. But I, I guess that that show always wins the time slot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. 
Also good news, someone scored the Acura commercials we've been waiting for. James Spader did a voiceover for Acura, and we kind of put the call out there. And Michelle, oh, my friend, who calls herself Poetic Filmmaker, that's what she's going to go by. Uh, she produces a community television show, and she grabbed these, and I will put them up on the site. We have the video of it, but we're going to play you quickly just the part of the audio that uh, James is, is speaking. It's, this is the commercial. <laughs> it makes you want to go buy an Acura. Yeah, that was for the RL. Also, I think this is his voice. He does the one for the Acura MDX. The Acura MDX. Connect to the modern world. Or escape from it. Or escape from it. So, we'll have the videos up. We don't see him. It's just pictures of Acura and, and music, really. So, I guess you need a little extra cash there. <laughs> <laughs> Some good casting news. Lisa Vidal, who has been on The Third Watch and also The Division, has landed a multi-episode arc. She'll play the head of a woman's shelter on Boston Legal, and she gets involved with Alan. I don't know if that means romantically involved or otherwise, but I'd like to think romantically. So he finally gets another girlfriend. Someone to help him forget Tara. Going to quick run through a couple of the updates on bostonlegal.org. Want to get you over to boston-legal.org. I put up a page. It's a page in progress. I need your help. It's uh, Click on the link Music on the front page or on any page and it's the music of Boston legal. And I've kind of just right now just put in, uh, it's listed by episode and I kind of put in the, the music, the title, where it's from, if it's a Broadway tune, you know, what's the name of the play who performed it. If it was done by an artist or done by one of the characters, as you might remember Spader, I think spouted off from the music man. So, you know, he's credited there. And uh, and really, I think I only have like five or six out of the 20. We've had 27 episodes in the two seasons so far. Do you know that? Uh, 20, 17 plus 10, almost 10. I have a little place where you can click on and add your comment about an, a piece of music that you recognize from the episode, and I'll add it in there. The transcript, as I mentioned before, for the episode Gone is up. Thank you very much. I'm a mess for typing that whole episode again. You can go there and read it. I have now, I did tell you I was going to give you some spoilers, and this is the time where you want to turn down the volume <laughs> and give me about 30 seconds or so before you turn it up. But if you don't mind, nothing major, but we've got three episodes that actually aren't even posted yet anywhere. One of them coming up, and I don't have the dates for these, but these are all, of course, are going to be in 2006, exclusive to us. Uh, Breast in Show. This will be maybe the final of the three-episode arc, uh, three arc that Michael J. Fox is in. He's Daniel Post. By this time, he is involved with Denise. They have a little romance going. And they go to his living memorial. Because remember, he has cancer. And she gets to meet his family. And I guess they're all big Boston Bruins hockey fans. Also, in Live Big, that's the one that uh, is on February 21. That's Ivan and Missy and Schmidt. <laughs> Ivan is the Tom Selleck character. He's marrying Missy, and he used to be married to Schmidt. So I have to deal with this. Also, another side story on that is an 18-year-old girl was raped, and she goes to the a Catholic hospital, actually, to be treated, and is denied the emergency contraceptive to prevent pregnancy. And so um, this is a case that, that she needs help with, and Denise helps. Finally, an episode called Smile, uh, one storyline that um, involves Ryan Meyerson and his wife has Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's can be addressed in that one. And it's about an assisted suicide. And Alan and Denny help Ryan, who's, I guess, apparently an old friend of Denny, um, who, who actually helped his wife die, uh, defend himself. There's another story in there of Marissa and Phyllis. Phyllis used to be Alan Shore's secretary. And her daughter Marissa is... Uh, unable to smile due to an auto accident. She's being mocked at her school, and they come to Alan for some help on that. But this is a great Brad episode on Smile. Brad is uh, defending Bev and Harold Bridge. They are now divorced, and Bev has been is, is played by Joanna Cassidy, who's also in some previous episodes. I think she has a thing that she starts with Denny. But Brad, um, it actually is revealed that Brad went to West Point, which is interesting because Mark Valley went to West Point. So they're marrying in reality and fiction there. And we now know that Brad Chase went to Harvard Law School. I won't give it away what they're, what he's representing for, except that it's somebody who's on life support and he has to help Bev in the situation. I do have a plea I'd like to ask anybody that has um, 
is able to provide me with the Mad TV episode that was from November 26th. It's episode or season 11, episode 7. There was a Boston Legal parody. I thought I was on track to get it. There was a torrent site that had all the other episodes. They've skipped this one, but um, according to the Mad TV boards, it was a good sketch, good concept, and uh, we would like to see the parody. So thank you very much if you can send it my way. I appreciate it. One other thing we have new on the press page of boston-legal.org is my conversation with Mark Valley. I talked to him, quick interview, uh, back March 2005. I'm just now getting it up. I saw him at the Boston Legal Panel at the Directors Guild of America, the television festival, and he shares his thoughts. It's just in a written form. He shares his thoughts about uh, on where Brad Chase has been when he's not in the storylines and also whether Shatner cheated at push-ups. So you want to go and read that. Before we uh, hear from you with your emails, uh, I just want to mention again, a while back, uh, a few months ago, I went down to CBS and did uh, some podcasts for them. And you can go check that out at cbs.com forward slash netcast. And I think I'm going to put something up on our website, too, linking to all 30-some interviews. But several of the stars I interviewed had a connection that goes back to David E. Kelly or some of the other cast members or somebody they've been on the practice. And I want to play you two sound bites from... Two of them, which you'll recognize, that you'll, I actually got them to say something about that connection. First one is from John Cryer. He's currently on Two and a Half Men, but you remember him from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> With me now is the fabulous John Cryer from Two and a Half Men. I'm so happy to meet you. You'd have no idea. Uh, you know, you're right. It has not really been communicated how excited you are yeah, about meeting me. Totally giggling. Moment. Oh, let's, <laughs> let's just talk about a little bit before we talk about the show. Um, I know that you're probably an internet savvy kind of guy. Fairly. And, and we're a podcast. So a lot of people, well, to listen to us, they've had to download this interview. So we're going to okay. just say... John Cryer likes to surf around the internet and go to... Uh, uh, say, uh, jamesspader.org. <laughs> <laughs> um, sweet. Uh, but, uh, well, thank you, first of all, for making the effort to download uh, this particular podcast. Um, Do you find yourself doing using the internet for research or for fun or for porn or for what? Uh, uh, well, you know, let's face it. Uh, porn has been the driving force between... It's so easy. But, but yes, exactly. Uh, uh, um, and I, I pretend that I don't like the porn spam. But let's face it, it, it's a nice lift. You're it's drinking shocking. your coffee in the morning, and it's like, oh, this is, this is lovely. And, uh, uh, and I miss the days when the porn spam really shocked you because, it, because the pictures were like, now you have to scroll down for the picture, <laughs> click on the link or whatever. Um, so you're over 18. So exactly, yeah. exactly. I had to just play the little porn part. But really, the part I was going to want you to hear was his jamesspader.org, which is a site I run. And I had only mentioned to him prior to the interview, so he remembered that, and he pulled it in. I, I really thought that was great. Also, he's talked with Jamie Gertz. And prior to – she's in the show on CBS Still Standing with Mark Addy, who plays her husband. This doesn't actually – what I'm going to play for you right now is not in actually in the interview that you can go listen to at cbs.com. But it's – um, what happened before we started record? We were still recording, but we hadn't started the interview. It was one of those very funny conversations. I, I bring up just before I start recording here. I bring up that she was on David e. Kelly's Ally McBeal, and uh, how was it working with Kelly? And and then I'm mentioning about I run a Boston Legal website. She says. He's Alan sure. oh, he's so brilliant. And you've been on David Kelly's, you know, yes, Valley yes. Field, so I was, was very fun. excited. But he's with the same agent, and I've been with the same agent. Oh. We were her oldest with James, clients. James Spade. Yeah. My so I was wife. Screaming like a crazy man when he. My wife uh, is crazy for him. insane yeah. about mm-hmm. James. She was his agent. Do they get Boston Legal? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, does yeah. she watch? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Show. No, she and Ruth. Living TV does Boston. Yeah. She she and Ruth Doyle, a friend of hers, are they're gonna they're like we're gonna stalk. James Spader. (laughs) That's Mark Eddy saying that his wife is in love with James Spader. They're going to stalk him. But that was good. And as you may remember, when they announced the nominations for the Emmys, it was Jamie Gertz that read that James Spader was nominated for the Boston Legal for Boston Legal. And she she went, yay, (laughs) when she said his name. She really was excited that he got in there. I mentioned that to her. I think that's how we may have gotten on the topic. She's a big fan. (laughs) All right, we are ready to hear from you. Thanks for sticking around to the very end of the show. Um, we invite you all to, of course, call that number that's on the website. You can go look it up. You know how, where to email me. It's on every page of the website. We're not going to repeat it. But we've heard from Tamara Baum. She sent us an email. I'm trying to catch up on listening to your podcast. I just found your site, and I love it. 
I have to wait till exams are over and to really delve into the reviews and everything that I want to read. I'll definitely be taking your podcast with me when I travel, which, while I think about it, is probably a silly thing to be telling you. But I just wanted you to know that they're helping me with one of the most treacherous aspects of the holidays, waiting at the airport. So thank you, Tamara. She's a material science and engineering student at Carnegie Mellon. It's great to hear from you. Rob, you want to read one from... Yeah, we got one from Chris Bannister, and he said, Keep up the good work, and I'm really enjoying the podcast and website, but I have some criticism for you. I'm a Macintosh user, and all your video stuff is done in Microsoft Media Format, and that does rub me the wrong way. And because anyone running a Microsoft Windows box... Anyone who's not running. Who's not running, sorry, a Windows Media box um, can't play the video, and... And it would be great if you could move to a video standard that is accessible across multiple OSs. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Well, the answer to that one is, is that the vast majority of people that would listen or go to boston-legal.org will unfortunately be on a Windows box. And it's um, fairly you know, complicated to have multiple formats. And, and there, there are open standard formats, but uh, they're not really all that great. So We're just not going to do it in QuickTime. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just... In, <laughs> and we, nobody does well, real media much. And <laughs> well, frankly, we, we have a Windows Media streaming server. Yeah, so, that's And most people don't have that. Um, so, you know, if you... You know, those people are the ones that typically do in QuickTime because they, they would just stream it off the server yeah. off a of quick time. Well, that's a really good point. Thank you for mentioning that because we're not going to have an AVI or an MPEG. You're not going to be able to download this stuff. It's We do everything we can to protect the rights of the copyright owner. Yeah. The very fact that we're redistributing, I mean, we're not redistributing it. We are displaying it yeah. is probably a little bit dancing on the edge of the ethics. And thank God, thank you, ABC. Thank you, David E. Kelly people for letting us do that because we just do it out of good faith and to support you guys. But we're not going to let anybody download Now I know there are people that come and have ways to steal these movies well, and put it on other sites as a download. It's to, to do because That's wrong. you can do a, a video stream capture. There's software out there that will do of that. Of course. I know that. And you yeah. do everything you can and you can't get off of those unethical people that will steal it from your site and offer it as a download. Yeah. That's... They have to face their own demons, and and I mean, certainly it'd be great to be able to to deliver the content to Macintosh and Apple users. Uh, we'd love to do it. It's just unfortunately it's a it's a standards issue. But thank you, Chris. He's also given us a lot of good storyline ideas. Well, maybe you'll share some in the future. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, be sure and tell a friend about Boston Legal Tuesdays. I mean, everybody, you tell. We're we're gonna rise back from that season low. Uh, ratings with nine point whatever million people. We're going to go back to our, to our happy 11 million. If you just tell three or four friends, legal deficit is on Tuesday. Watch the repeats on December 27. You're going to be just full and tired and with your family anyway. So you might as well watch Black Widow and Schadenfreude. And a new episode January 10, The Cancer Man Can with Michael J. Fox. Rob, thank you so much for sticking with me doing this show at midnight. That's great. <laughs> We want to thank all of you for listening. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rob, as the uh, theme to Mannix plays under us right now in loving tribute to <clears throat> Brad's childhood role model, the famous private detective, please tell our friends where they can contact us. Well, the easiest way is just send Dana an email at bostonillegal at gmail.com or give us a call and leave a voicemail message, and I'm sure Dana will play it on the show. And that phone number is 1-800-986-8290. And we definitely want to hear what you have to say about the episodes. Boston Illegal here now is brought to you by my company, Forest Rain Studios, a digital recording studio, and the unofficial website, boston-legal.org. Until next time, remember... We look good, right? <laughs> yeah, we look great. Yes. Brad. You're not going to go all Mannix on us, are you? I never did that. What did he mean, go all Mannix? When I was a kid, my role model was sort of Mannix. The famous private detective. He's a television character. <laughs>